Hey all you whoppers, it's Madame Nymphadora, development educator and drag entertainer, and your hostess of Woke Ass People, a conversational series featuring storytellers, advocates, and disruptors. I am joined on this episode with my good friend Jason Schonard, who brings us a rambunctious conversation about civic engagement, socioeconomic participation, the voting process, and how to research where those dollars go. And who's giving those dollars? I hope you are in for an exciting conversation. Welcome back, you woke-ass people. I am here with the great and one of the wokest people I have actually ever had the pleasure to learn from, conversate with, Mr. Jason Schonard. Thank you so much for being here with us today to have this conversation on democratic participation. Where are you joining us from today? Uh, Madam, I'm joining joining everyone from my home here in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh my gosh, that's where I'm at too. So people are probably wondering why we're not doing this uh, live. I'm sure we could have. I'm sure we could have figured out a socially distant and acceptable um, meeting setting. However, uh, we are having a series of conversations with several woke-ass people today, and this is our format. Um, so again, thank you for taking the time. Um, to get things kicked off and started, Jason, I'm curious, um, some of my perspective that I have on democratic participation is that that first true step to being involved is being what I like to say woke, is getting educated. So for some of our audience um, out there or listeners, what would be some advice to you about some of those great initial first steps of getting involved? Well, Madam, what you call woke, I would more call understanding. Um, <laughs> I, like I think, it. yeah, I think you just need to understand uh, someone else. It's that old saying, you know, walk a mile in someone's shoes. That can be hard to do for a lot of people. But uh, personally, you know, madam, I grew up uh, pretty poor. I grew up poor circumstances and that had a very large impact on my life and my outlook of life, especially. And so in getting involved, it was just growing up and seeing other people have things that people like me did not have and wondering why and where to start. And we're always told the place to start is with civic engagement. So that's sort of where we're focusing today. And I think it's sort of appropriate. I like that. I like that. So, um, you know, one thing that I, I would be interested and curious that, that, that sparked in my brain just there is, is there a difference in people's um, socioeconomic status in how they vote or how they participate in democratic processes or um, maybe better questioned of what privileges do we see uh, different classes of individuals or um, you know, we see different redistricting in different areas, different parts of the country and different voter suppression. Does any of that, you know, have to do with one's economic class or status, do you think? Uh, I think it absolutely does. Um, I think there's two different sort of ways you can look at it. Um, I know that you brought up districting, which is a very big thing. Uh, not far from us, up north in Omaha there, 
you may know um, it's a rather segregated city. The majority of black residents in Omaha live in North O. And for a long time, it has been carved and redistrict in that way to sort of keep it right there. Keep that one majority of black people in as far as districting go in that one spot. And it's uh, an old trick. It's a fascinating trick. Um, actually, I probably can't see it. I do have a map of uh, legislative districts in Nebraska on the wall. And if you look at the cities of like Lincoln and Omaha, they are very carved very strangely and very distinctly. And it absolutely has to do with it. I mean, I live in the near south neighborhood here in Lincoln, which is sort of a, it's a, it's a rare mixing of sort of socioeconomics um, because I can walk two blocks uh, to my north and there are houses that take up half the block. They are very, very large and like expensive homes next to apartments that are rather cheap or, you know, conversion, like house conversions that have been converted into apartments, which uh, just makes this sort of an interesting area, but it just seems to go so far south. My district, that sort of the poorer people in these sort of apartments, while they may outnumber numerically just voters to space, uh, they are still rather underrepresented in any sort of form of civic engagement, be that city council, be it the state, the you know federal level. But it's just very uh, interesting. We don't have a whole lot here. If you drive down the street right next to me, Dan, you will, your hair will be a mess. It really will. It's just so bumpy. You definitely can't do your makeup, you know, <laughs> if I'm heading to work. <laughs> I love that. You know, I do, being as, uh, you know, we're, we're uniquely positioned because we're both in the same, same city. Um, you know, some things that I've noticed as I've uh, driven around the town and, and seen different uh, political yard signs and, and seeing the different, the party representation, what really got me thinking so much about that is, is the farther Southeast you get in Lincoln specifically, you see brand new developments, really nice businesses, really nice architecture, really nice housing. And, and what kind of made me scratch my head was like those dilapidated housing structures that we see and more of a downtown Lincoln area. Um, some things that I was, I, or, or multi-generational families that are living in these converted homes that are, are designed maybe for a full family, but they're converted into these apartment structures that sometimes have, you know, three or four apartments in them. Um, and, and again, you know, those multi-generational, but it's interesting to see, you know, the development within this community, within this city, create new opportunities for a demographic of individuals farther south. So not so much, uh, it's, it's kind of redistricting in you will, if you will, you know, it's looking at an opportunity of land and development going, you know what, we're going to put this demographic of individual, we're going to create housing opportunities and business opportunities for a specific demographic. And then when the, the election, uh, specifically the general election of the uh, of one this year, we see those different contrasting of, you know, who supports um, this candidate or this party, just based on, you know, how some of this is designed and how some of that uh, business development is even looked at. It may not seem political from birth, but it ends up looking that way farther down down the line. 
Um, you know, I want to pick your brain on a, on the electoral college. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of folks out there that might be familiar with the phrase electoral college and kind of how it runs, but can you kind of give us, give us just an overview of what is that electoral college? And a question that I have for most is, you know, is it, is it truly democratic? Um, not democratic, not in the sense I think you mean, madam. Um, what it is, is Republican, as it is a Republican government. It's just another sort of set of doing that is having another set of people vote for what you already voted for. It's sort of like watering it down. Um, I was actually just reading up a little bit on the Electoral College, um, but how it works um, in the majority of states is they are divided up like in their districts. So for instance, here in Nebraska, we have five, uh, two senators, we have two representatives in Congress, or three, excuse me. And um, so what they do is the majority of states take the popular vote or who won out the most in the state and, and they give it to those delegates who are supposed, they're pledged to vote however the people voted. Now, sometimes that is not always true. There are faithless electors famously um, in several cycles, especially in the last 20 years. Um, but there have been some ideas of how to change it, how to make it more democratic instead of doing the most democratic thing, which would be one person, one vote, which would be, I think, the most favorable. But uh, now that you mention it, us in Nebraska here, madam, uh, we do it a little different, though. So when we vote on Election Day, whoever wins the state has the most votes throughout the entire state get two of our Electoral College votes, while the other three are given to the districts. So, for instance, in uh, 08, you saw the district up in Omaha flip blue. Mm -hmm. So in that year, yeah, our five votes in the Electoral College, one went to Barack Obama, the other four to John McCain at the time. And that's a very unique way of looking at it and another different way to distribute um, population and votes. Uh, while not the most uh, equal or democratic uh, as it could be, it is another way of doing it. We do that and so do Maine. They also split their votes in a similar fashion. And uh, I was reading up on theory a little bit about changing that and how they do that. If every district did that in the country, how much different any election could be. Really? I mean, yeah, because the, every district is separated by population. You know, that's why a city such as, um, you know, let's say Minneapolis, I don't know how many uh, con congressional representatives they have, but it's, I would guess three or four while we have three for our entire state because it's divvied up via population. So like how it worked then, let's say in Omaha, you know, a bunch of people vote different from the rural counties, the Western Nebraska, then it's gonna create a different sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, madam? A different, uh, hmm, just a, there's different power in that way, yeah. if that makes sense. Uh, one thing I've seen on Facebook or Twitter or memes you see a lot is, uh, you know, the voting demographics where they'll show the blue and the red from an election. And, you know, it'd be like, oh, look at all this little section of blue. Well, land can't vote. 
madam. So, like, <laughs> of course, the blue is more concentrated in more concentrated places instead of the because there's less people. Land mm -hmm. can't vote. So it kind of changed that a little bit, but it can empower and also, you know, unempower some people. So it's a very interesting theory. Um, I think that's all I got on that for now. <laughs> no, thank you. No, that's that's awesome. That's super awesome. Um, you know, some some question that I'm I'm really gauging from a lot of folks that I'm having this conversation with is, what is your idea of how folks can get involved? I mean, we're just over, you know, roughly 20 days out from, from this election specifically, but for folks that still have the time and there is time, believe us, um, you know, how, how can they go get involved right now? And what would, be, what would be your best, easiest way for these folks to, to take action? Well, you see, this is a very unique time, obviously, with the pandemic going on. Um, obviously, no one's really going door to door like in, uh, you know, years past, trying to uh, campaign or promote a candidate. So in my opinion, the best thing to do right now, if you're sitting here 20 days out, you want to get involved, it would be to see how you can phone bank, text bank, things people have been doing since the primaries, since before then, since the last cycle, that is the easiest way, I think, to get involved is to see how you can phone bank. It doesn't take that much time. It can be kind of scary. I, you know, mm -hmm. talking to strangers, I'm not the biggest fan, but you can do that. They give you a little script. You just call, you give them this. Texting is even easier. You send a few mm -hmm. texts and, you know, people don't want to talk. They just ignore it. I've done that. I get texts uh, from certain representatives I don't support. What are you going to do? You know, you can't do much about it. Yeah, uh, I would say that or if you had the means um, donate financially donate that is the biggest help. Um, as we've seen in the last two uh, major election cycles, um, small money don't small donors have come back in a big way to form sort of grassrooty grassroots uh, financials to run campaigns to keep them going and that's phenomenal that is way more democratic in my mind than most PACs, you know, PACs. And it's just an incredible thing, but I know a lot of people don't have access to that. If you can throw $5 to your candidate, $10, what $2 some of them will take. And that, that, that helps because you can't do any of this without money, which is also unfortunate and not unfortunate because anyone who, you know, works for that campaign does need to be paid. Everybody deserves payment. Everybody deserves food on the table, no matter how you're bringing home the bacon, you know? Mm -hmm. No, yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, had that similar conversation on, on, uh, I'm glad you touched on that. Um, you know, the candidate that I can think of specifically uh, on such a large level, Bernie Sanders um, led a very successful presidential campaign on American dollars. It, it was truly grassroots. And, and if we look at an example like Bernie Sanders specifically, whether anybody agrees or, or um, you know, sides with, with the ideology of the candidate, um, you know, Bernie Sanders has really brought forth big waves in the election process um, within these last couple presidential elections and in what that grassroots advocacy looks like. And it is powerful and uh you know so that leads me to you know just just one one question i have here to kind of tie up some some final things is 
you know, what is the advice that you have, uh, you know, to an 18 year old Jason, um, you know, getting out there and being involved? You know, I think you're, I think you're a different breed than, than some other folks because you are so aware and, and you are so involved um, that I could make a guess that maybe at 18, you were very aware of, of making your decisions. But what would be some of that advice to some listeners who might be hesitant to take that first step as a young person? Um, you know, it's funny you bring that up. I was not. Um, <laughs> actually, there was no election when I turned 18. I was a year young. Um, but uh, what I do in this is not quite a universal for everybody since I like research, I do research. Um, I think that there is one really nice way to do that. And that is through open secrets. Um, I believe.org. I'm not exactly sure, but if you Google open secrets, you'll find it. It shows you where money is going, who is getting the money, where it's coming from. That is how I like to sort of see um how i feel about certain candidates like i have my ballot sitting over here still not filled out i can go to open secrets and um our con congressional district is um representative fortenberry up against um i believe it's former state legislature now bowles you can look up where that campaign money is coming from who is funding whose campaign and that is very important because even if that is not the enthusiastic um campaigning or endorsing, you know, of putting something in your yard or in what any normal person would do. That's showing you how much they are taking in from who they're going to have first call on that person because they help them pay their bills and their workers' bills. So I think that is the most important place to start. And you can also do that for different organizations, mm -hmm. such as um, Kuna's own, um, uh, you know, funding, who they fund, where their money goes. You can go and see that. You can see how they've been doing it for 20 years. And it's very important to see who's paying who, in my opinion, when it comes to politics. I agree with that. And, and I'm glad you cited that source there because uh, I actually, in my own research um, for credit union PAC donation, mm. I've searched that same thing. Open Secrets is uh, where I found all of that information and it is largely beneficial. Jason, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to answer some of these questions and to get that information out there to voters. Um, do you have any last remarks or any statements at all that you want to share with anybody? Um, I would just say, since especially since a lot of us will be voting from home this go around, which I already like to do, take your time. I say research everything you can, look at each and every one and vote your conscience. That's what I believe and I think that's what you should do. I love that. That is that is a plan. That sounds like a plan. Best advice, get out there and make a plan. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. I cannot wait to have another conversation with you. We have some other exciting topics to cover, talking about racial injustice, talking about individuals who uh, have been incarcerated and are ex-felons. Um, let's have those conversations. Let's talk about how the credit union movement can step up and help these individuals. Um, but thank you so much for being here and we will catch you next time. Thank you so much for having me, madam.